Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Ben Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Recently, Rob began a video teaching series entitled The 50 Final Events in World History, The Book of Revelation Demystified. You can use this self-paced video study for individual or group use. It includes downloadable visual aids for personal reference or for Bible teachers who want to teach this material to others. Visit robertjmorgan.com courses and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for a special listener's discount. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Welcome back to my series based on the scriptures that inspired the classic hymn, How Firm a Foundation. I'm convinced that we must not lose some of the greatest hymns, the sacred music that has been passed down from generation to generation and which, apart from the Bible, represents our richest source of spiritual nourishment. The hymn, How Firm a Foundation, has endured through the centuries because, essentially, it's a musical paraphrase of some of the Bible's richest promises. Week by week, I've been taking you through these, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Today, we're coming to the stanza that says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. I believe this is one of the most remarkable hymn stanzas that has ever been written. When you look at it, you'll notice that every single line of this stanza is based on a different verse of Scripture. There are four lines in the stanza, and each of the lines is based on a different Bible verse, and yet the stanza teaches one great unified truth that is so encouraging to us that when we know it, it's like having a biblical radiation chip installed into our brains. I think that only a master Bible student could have put this together, and I believe that's what we have in its probable author, Robert Keene. So let's look at this stanza line by line, four lines, and each one is based on a different verse of the Bible that will be, I think, of encouragement to you. The first line says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. And that's a clear reference to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, which is the only time in the Bible we find the phrase fiery trials. The verse says, again, this is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. You may want to turn there if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which has come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, the immediate application of this verse seems to relate to persecution. Peter was writing with that in mind. The entire book of 1 Peter is written to show us how to respond to suffering, especially the suffering caused by persecution. But it's not limited to the sufferings of persecution alone, because at the very beginning of the book, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he talks about how we may have to suffer through, quote, all kinds of trials. 
So persecution is in mind here, but all kinds of trials are a reality. So 1 Peter 4.12 is a verse that unfolds about this from phrase to phrase, and it's sort of like unfolding a map. First of all, Peter says we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter suffering as though something strange were happening to us. Our faith in Christ shields us from the despair that comes from problems, but not necessarily from the problems themselves. If you're facing a hardship right now, something that is causing you anguish and sorrow, don't be surprised that it has come to you. That's the way our fallen, sinful world works, and none of us is immune to difficulty. Second, remember that this trial has come to test you, to probe the solidarity of your faith. Again, this verse, 1 Peter 4.12, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I know one thing. I can tell you this from experience, and you can probably say the same thing. The periods in my life in which I've most grown in Christ have been the times when I've been driven to Him by pressures and problems. Third, we can learn to rejoice in the middle of these fiery trials. Yes, to rejoice, the passage says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Now, in the book immediately before 1 Peter, the book of James opens in chapter 1 by saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It sounds like James and Peter were singing the same song here. I think that there comes a time when maybe in our lives we just have to be a little bit like Sarah in the book of Genesis and laugh some with a resigned faith, saying, Well, Lord, just when I thought this couldn't get any worse, it did. So, Father, take it over and let me rejoice in you since there's absolutely nothing in this circumstance that I can see that would otherwise bring me joy. In other words, when we can't rejoice in the crisis, we can always rejoice in the Christ. Fourth, remember when you face troubles that you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, whose problems were far worse than ours. His problems included faithless friends, a betrayer, torture, and a shameful death in front of his own mother. This passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 again says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which has come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Again, this obviously relates primarily to persecution. And I don't want to pass over that too quickly because there has never been greater or more vicious attacks against Christians than today. One of the underreported stories in the news has to do with the growth of Christianity, for example, in the nation of Iran. But just this summer, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps conducted a coordinated operation in Tehran and two other Iranian cities aimed at disrupting the country's house church movement. And many Christians there have found themselves in tremendous jeopardy. I met one of these Christians from Iran and heard her testimony, and I know of 
how difficult it is from, at least I know it from her own testimony and experience. Even worse is what's happening in Nigeria, where over a thousand Christians are known to have been slaughtered for their faith just this year. All these people are participating in the sufferings of Christ. And I can only thank God for ministries like Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs that are aimed at strengthening the persecuted church. But there's a fifth truth in this passage. Our sufferings on earth, the greater our rejoicing in heaven. Listen to this incredible verse again and notice how things are put in this kind of proportion here. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which has come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The moment we see Jesus, the overwhelming problems will be swallowed up by the overjoyed praise we will experience. Imagine all of this is found in the first line of this hymn, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. The second line of the hymn says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. And of course, this is an unmistakable reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 about God's all-sufficient grace. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians of his painful affliction. We don't know exactly what it was. He called it his thorn in the flesh. Everyone has their own opinion as to what was troubling Paul. I tend to think it was an issue with his eyes. But in any event, he called it a messenger of Satan sent to torment him, and he prayed repeatedly for deliverance. But God told him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, my wife Katrina, frankly, had a hard time with this verse. She would sometimes ask me how God's power could be made perfect in her weakness, because as her multiple sclerosis worsened, she well, she felt increasingly helpless and incapacitated. And yet in so many ways, though she didn't fully see it or understand it, she became stronger and God used her more greatly. People could see it from the outside, but I'm not sure that she could see it from her perspective. I do also believe that he also deepened my own ministry as I coped with her illness. He deepened our joint ministry. I'm sure that the Lord allowed us to touch people through his all-sufficient grace because of her affliction. I don't know how to fully describe it, but let me try to picture it in your mind's eye like this. Imagine a silver lamp, a gas or kerosene lamp like people of earlier days had on their kitchen tables. This one has a clear, beautiful globe and an ornate silver bowl or reservoir for the oil. A wick stretches from the bowl up to the globe, and the flame casts a golden glow over the room. This glow, in fact, is very unusual. It allows everyone in the room, even in the distant corners, to read every word of their Bibles without strain. It casts a cheerful mood everywhere that dispels sadness. This is God's all-sufficient grace. The oddest thing, however, is that there is no way to replenish the oil by any human means, nor does it need replenishing. Somehow, 
It's fed by an invisible source, and its level never diminishes. Its fire never falters. Its globe is never blackened with soot, and its light can never be blown out. The Bible says we are God's lamps, His lights, and His invisible grace flows constantly into our hearts to keep us bright and cheerful and useful, and it is all-sufficient grace. One of the best things I've ever read about this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 comes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said that when we fall into fiery trials, quote, Do not complain that some strange thing has happened to you. Or if you do, remember that blessings are provided in the grace of God to meet your strange difficulties. Tremble not, he said, because of the thorn in the flesh, which is so mysterious. For grace is mysterious too, and so mystery shall be met by mystery. And Spurgeon continued, At this moment, and at all moments, which shall ever occur between now and glory, the grace of God will be sufficient for you. This sufficiency is declared without any limiting words, and therefore I understand the passage to mean that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is, is sufficient to uphold you. It is sufficient to strengthen you. It is sufficient to comfort you. It is sufficient to make your trouble useful to you. It is sufficient to enable you to triumph over it. It is sufficient to bring you out of it. It is sufficient to bring you out of 10,000 like it. Sufficient to bring you home to heaven. And then Spurgeon drew his own picture as only he could do. I'll paraphrase it for you. But he said, imagine that some tiny fish being very thirsty was troubled that he might drink the river dry. But the great river Tim said to him, poor little fish, my waters are sufficient for you. Or imagine a little mouse running around the granaries of Egypt when they were overflowing with the seven years of heavy crops. When the mouse was worried he might die of hunger, Pharaoh said, cheer up little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for you. Or imagine a man standing on a mountain peak, gazing at the unending horizon in all directions, but he's plagued by the thought that he will use up all of the oxygen that surrounds the globe. But the sky says to him, My atmosphere is sufficient for you. Fill your lungs and fill them again. Spurgeon said, You will never breathe all of the oxygen of the atmosphere drink all of the water of the river, or eat all of the grain of Egypt. To say that these things are sufficient for you is a vast overstatement. And then to finish Spurgeon's quotation, he said, And with such a Redeemer to rest in, how dare I for a moment think that my needs cannot be supplied? Our great Lord feeds all of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle on the hills, and he guides the stars and upholds all things by the power of his hand, how then can we ever be deprived of the supplies that we need or destitute of the help that is required? His grace is sufficient for you. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, his grace, all sufficient, shall be your supply. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now, the third line of the hymn goes on to remind us of another Bible verse. The third line says, The flame shall not hurt thee. 
And this phrase reminds us immediately of those three young men in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into King Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace in ancient Babylon, but the flames could not hurt them. This is such a well-known Bible story that I'll not linger here for long. But remember, those godly young men refused to bow down and to worship the king's image, and they were threatened, if they didn't, that they would be thrown into the furnace, presumably the kiln used for forging the materials that the image was made out of. But their reply displayed faith in God in its purest form. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So the boys were bound up and pushed into the furnace, And the Bible says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. As the three young men were landing in the deadly flames, instantly, Urgently, the fourth man hurled himself through space and in a moment's time was beside them, walking through the burning flames with them, the Lord Jesus, I believe, with them, fellowshipping with them, even in the furnace. The lesson of this passage has been a comfort to believers for generations untold. There are times when the devil throws us into the furnace. He wants to destroy us, but all he does is burn away the ropes that bind us. He can throw us in, but he cannot keep the fourth man out. By the grace of God, we will not bow or bend or burn because our faith in Christ is, well, it's an asbestos faith. And we can only aspire to be increasingly like these three men who found themselves in a hostile society, but they simply stood firm for the Lord, and found him in the furnace. Well, the final line of the stanza of How Firm a Foundation brings us back again to the book of 1 Peter, as well as to a few other passages. It says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So in the ancient world, they would mine gold, but it often wasn't pure. And so a craftsman known as a refiner would sit next to a hot fire and a crucible, and he would melt down the gold and stir it and skim off the impurities that rose to the top of the molten metal. And this was a dangerous job, so I've heard. And yet the ancient craft of refining gold is still practiced in some parts of the world today. Well, several different Bible verses refer to God as a refiner and refer to us as his gold or silver. He uses the fires of our fiery trials to cleanse us from impurities so we will better reflect his image. Psalm 66 says, Praise our God, all peoples, 
Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. And Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 10 says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. And 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 says, And all of this, referring to the blessings of our salvation, And all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proving genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Everyone who has ever watched a refiner at work says the same thing, that the refiner never takes his eyes off of the liquid, he's extremely attentive to it, and he doesn't keep it on the flame for a second too long, and he knows that it's finished when he can see his face reflected in it. Well, this changes the way that we look at our problems. Suppose you get the flu. Suppose you're laid off from your job. Suppose you have a loved one who passes away, or maybe you have a sudden difficult legal or financial matter. Maybe someone who is close to you goes into crisis, or maybe your own church has a very difficult time and you find yourself engulfed in difficulty. We all face these kinds of challenges And it's very tempting to say, Lord, why is this happening to me? But based upon this picture of the refiner, the better question is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you seeking to do in me? We can ask him, what impurity are you seeking to remove from my life? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever looked at a crisis and said, Lord, This is a very difficult place. Now, what impurity in my life are you seeking to remove? What improvement are you intending to make? How do you intend for me to emerge out of this difficulty stronger and happier and with greater faith than ever before? Those are very mature, probing spiritual questions. But that is why the Bible gives us this picture of the refiner's fire. Our problems don't last forever. They are all temporary. They come and go. But the spiritual growth and maturity that comes to us through our problems will stay with us throughout life and will glorify God forever. So there's a great deal, you see, woven into this great hymn, this stanza. All of the verses in today's episode, and I've quoted a number of them to you, and I hope you've jotted them down. They are all rich and rewarding, but if you can't remember all of them, you do have all of them woven together in this one great stanza of how firm a foundation. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. I hope you're finding this hymn and the scriptures behind it as much a blessing as I am. 
we still have two stanzas to go. And so I'll see you here again next week. Same time, same station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and the media firm Clearly Media. Edited by Elijah Rowe. The music is by Jeff Bennett. For more information and resources, visit my website, robertjmorgan.com. And God be with you until we meet again.